400 times. About 400 times. That's how many times lambs or sheep are mentioned in the scripture. In fact, more than any other animal, lambs and sheep are mentioned. Now, most of us here, like me, are city people, so it's likely that the closest we've ever gotten to a live sheep is glue and cotton balls on some construction paper when we were kids. But because of the times and settings in which the scriptures under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit were written, the Bible often uses sheep and lambs as pictures of what our relationship with God is and could be. And this is what John, Jesus' best friend, does. And right now, we're working through the book of John, and John is saying to us, listen, I want to show you how to have a very high view of Jesus, but also how to have a best friend kind of relationship with him. And so we're walking through this series of messages with these things in mind. Sheep are not very smart. They're pretty dumb. Sheep are not very fierce. They're not very tough. They're one of the least fierce animals we can think of. If I was going to categorize them, I would call them pacifist vegetarians. They don't harm anyone. They just wander around homeless, munching on grass, sleeping, and expecting someone else to take care of them. Basically, they're the first hippies. Vulnerable animals. They need a shepherd to take care of them. In fact, if they wander off and the shepherd isn't taking care of them, their life expectancy is extremely low. And so the Bible talks about shepherds about a hundred times. And today we're going to be looking at John chapter 10 as we graze through the book together. And the passage in John chapter 10 actually identifies this passage as figurative. It says this in verse 6. But always remember that even when it's figurative or if it's a parable or something like that, it's illustrating a literal truth. And so there's a couple of sustained metaphors in this passage that we're going to look at today. And in the story, there's the story of the great shepherd, and this is Jesus. And we are the people of God. Those are the ones that have a personal relationship with God through Jesus, who have owned their sin, have repented, realized it's fruitless to try and deal with it on their own. It's all on Jesus. It's all available. His grace is available through Jesus. And relationship through, with God through Jesus as Savior and Lord comes exclusively through Christ. We who are part of the family of God are the sheep in the passage. So we have to have some humility as we do this because some of you are thinking, but wait a minute, Scott. I'm not dumb like a sheep. I'm pretty smart. And I'm sure you are smart for a sheep. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to John, which is the fourth book of the New Testament, John chapter 10. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 21 together. John chapter 10, and Jesus is speaking, and his best friend records these words of Jesus. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, a man who does, not, who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. 
but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. So he repeats himself several times because they're not really getting it. So Jesus says, therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them were saying, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This passage is really a passage that's back to basics. There's no real new things here, but they're things that are so important to be consistently practiced, to develop healthy habits in our life. And if we do this, it's, and only when we do this, do we really begin to experience all that God has for us. So let me take a few minutes to talk to you uh, some things about the sheep. In other words, those of us that are children of God, that are part of the family of God, that are biblical believers. And this is something that we tend to forget because we have these grandiose views of ourselves. The first one is, we are not the shepherd. And some people live under this grand illusion that God should follow them. And Jesus says, listen, I'm the good shepherd and you desperately need me. And everyone in this culture understood that a sheep that wandered off by itself didn't have a typically long life expectancy. You need to be under the care, Jesus says, of the great shepherd. And in addition to himself as the great shepherd, he appoints what you might almost call under-shepherds in a sense. Because, for example, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5 that Jesus is the chief shepherd and there are other shepherds. And so let me just paint you some of the pictures of this. So parents could be seen as shepherds to their children, responsible for their children, praying for their children, modeling for their children the things of God, admitting their own mistakes and shortcomings and sins, and being humble and disciplining and admonishing their kids, just like a good shepherd 
does. Or if you're a ministry leader here or one of the elders or a small group leader, you have a a flock for which you are charged to care for. Secondly, and this is very clear in the images as well, we all need a flock. We all need a flock. Sheep are social animals. They do much better together. And as I've already said, if they wander off on their own, they're not likely to survive. Christianity, as you read about it in Bible, is not a solo sport. And Jesus is asking in this passage, have you found your flock? As you've heard me say this before, um, there is no plan B in the economy of God. When it comes to relationship to the local church, there is no plan B. Despite the faults of the local church, despite our faults in this local church, And so if you're part of this church, if this is your church, awesome. Understand that all through the Old Testament, people went to church, served in church. All through the New Testament, they did as well. Most of the books of the New Testament are written to local churches. God sent out uh, people like Paul. They would go to places, lead people to Christ. They would establish churches. They would appoint elders. And then he would write letters to say, this is how you can have a healthy church environment. And he would give correction and encouragement to them to have healthy churches because it's so important in the economy of God. Jesus went to church Every week, despite there was a pile of people in there that were hypocritical or hated him and wanted to kill him, he still went to church and he served there in the local church. And so if this is your church, we encourage you to be here. Jesus understands the value of praying together, of serving together, of growing together, of caring for one another and letting others care for you. He says, gathering together as a flock and walking together under the good shepherd is crucial in your development of your relationship with me. In my 30 plus years as a pastor, I've heard lots of reasons why people don't want to stick Uh, you know, pick and stick with uh, a local flock. Uh, Probably the three most common, the one I hear, the ones I hear the most, um, one of them will be, uh, they just, if they're honest, they'll just say, I just don't make it a priority. I, I, I just don't intentionally make myself part of a local community. And that, and that despite its faults, I'm going to inconvenience myself or whatever I'm going to do, and I'm going to just be there regularly. And I'm not saying you don't go on holidays or things like that. I go on holidays too, but I'm going to be a regular part, and I'm going to serve in the local church. And they just are honest with me and say, you know, I haven't made it a priority. Sometimes people, secondly, will say to me, well, um, I'm just not that relational. You know, I can just listen to the podcast and I'm fine. But again, it's so clear in Scripture that we need other sheep. We need to gather with other sheep in order to be healthy, to care for one another. Like I said, to, to pray, to learn together, to go through good things and difficult things together. Thirdly, and most frequently, and this is the one I'll hear the most, they'll say something like this, my last flock hurt me. And I know I said sheep aren't that fierce, but sometimes sheep bite, and it hurts. And so they'll share my story, their story with me. And whether, um, you know, maybe it was a previous congregation, maybe it was this one, and maybe I was involved in the hurt, or maybe I wasn't, as I listen to them share their story, 
It just kind of breaks my heart because this is not the way the church is supposed to be and the people in the church. And so even though I may not have been involved, I, I, I most frequently will just say, listen, I know I wasn't involved, but I just want to apologize. As one of the leaders in God's church, I just apologize on behalf of the church and, and what was done to you was wrong and I'm sorry for your hurt. And then I try to transition them in the conversation and I gently challenge them and say, it's time to forgive. And you can't do it on your own, but the Lord Jesus wants to bring forgiveness in and through your life so that the healing process can take place. That doesn't mean you trust because trust is earned. But he wants to bring forgiveness into your life. He wants to remove you from the prison that you're in, in a state of unforgiveness. And then re-engage in a local church, despite its faults. Bottom line, Jesus is saying, we need each other. We also need, if we're more, some more things about the sheep, we need to be able to know the shepherd's voice. It says this in verse 4, that the sheep know his voice. And so again, I'm a city boy, but I've done some reading. I guess, I guess over there, and I've seen this as well. So you got all these sheep together, different herds mixed together, and they're in a pasture or they're in pens, and the shepherds come out, and they kind of spread out a little bit, and <coughs> excuse me, they have a very obviously distinctive voice, and then a particular distinctive call that they use over and over again with the sheep. And the sheep respond to the voice of their shepherd and the particular call they've been trained to respond to. I wonder how many of you, like me, have a non-Christian dog. And what I mean by that is uh, he, he knows my voice and he knows his name and I will call him but only occasionally does he really respond right away. And even when he responds, I watch him, his little head turns and he looks at me, I'm calling him, and I can tell he's evaluating in his mind. What's in it for me? Should I really respond to Scott, or should I keep playing in the backyard, which I really enjoy doing? True sheep, Jesus is saying, hear God's calling. They know his voice because their relationship with him has been thickening and deepening, and they respond. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. And we're going to be talking about this more in chapter 14 and 16, where we're told that the Spirit of God draws us, that he convicts us of truth, that he points us to Jesus, and apart from his work in our life, we would never, never clue in to what God would have for us. For me, it all began when I was just about 11 years old. And even though I had gone to church all through my life, because that's what good citizens did to develop them, even though I was a very moral individual, relatively speaking, even though my family was and we all went together, we had no clue whatsoever, none of us did, of why Jesus came, of what our standing was before a holy God. We thought we were good people. We thought we were going to skate in because we were pretty good people. And we had no understanding that I personally had done things to sever relationship with God, to break relationship with God, because I'd made sinful choices, and this had irreparably separated me from holy God, and that Jesus was the only way for it to be healed and to be repaired and forgiven. But then one day... We went to a place where we hadn't been, and we finally heard 
And the Spirit of God convicted us. And my heart was stirred in a way it had never been in my life. I owned my own personal sin. I repented even though I didn't know what that word meant or stuff like that. And I just, as best I could, I just surrendered my life to Jesus. And so it's entirely possible that the Spirit is calling you today. And he doesn't just call you once. He calls you at first to begin the relationship with God as that happened with me when I was almost 11. But then he calls you over and over and over and over again to grow the relationship with God, to direct your life. Because he doesn't just expect you to flounder around in life. He's got a very distinctive, purpose-filled, eternal plan for your life. And as, you, as he calls, he will direct in that. So how does, the, how does the good shepherd speak to me? What are some of the ways the good shepherd speaks to me? Well, primarily, um, and most often, he speaks through his word. And if you, if you stick your head into scripture at all, and just say, would you speak to me? All, it starts to come alive when you're a child of God, and you start to see things. There's so much depth in this passage. For example, like there's 21 verses we're looking at here. I'm going to talk for maybe 30 to 35 minutes. I could talk from this passage for hours because there's so much here. We're just scratching the surface. And every time you step into God's word, there's just more and more depth and development that he wants to do. So primarily, he speaks through the word of God in a very personal, intimate way. Not vague, very personal. But there's other ways that he speaks into our life as well. But it's important to remember in these other ways, they work together. In other words, they will not be in contradiction to God's word or to each other. So some of the other ways is just through prayer. As we're praying, we talk, but we also understand that it's really a dialogue, that the Spirit of God wants to talk to us too if we'll listen. He also works through wise, godly counsel. He'll bring godly, spirit-filled people into our life, and, and they'll hear our story, and they'll say, let's pray together, and let's, let's listen to Jesus, and, and in keeping with Scripture, let's, let's see how God is directing, and they'll speak into your life. He, he also directs through dream, dreams and visions because he's a supernatural God. And so I often hear this, probably there wouldn't be a week go by that I don't hear about how God is working through dreams and visions in people's life or in my own life as well. There's also just the desires of our heart. In Psalm 37, in verses 3 through 6 there, it says, listen, when you're in healthy relationship with God, when your heart is aligned with his and you're, you're, you're being obedient and you're in God's word, you're dwelling in his scripture, your heart's lined up with his and he'll put something in your heart to do. And, and that's good because your heart is aligned with him. Also, just through pain, often God, by his spirit, will speak to us uniquely in times of pain. Things that we just become oblivious to when things are going pretty well in life. And then finally, just often just through open doors. God just starts opening doors that we walk through. And so there's, there's these things where God just, because he's a supernatural God, he's calling us and, and the sheep know his voice. Now again, I don't know this in person, but I've read this stuff. Western shepherds typically drive their sheep and they will often use a sheepdog. But shepherds in the Near East, even to this day, and I've seen this, and it's referenced in these first three or four verses, they don't do that. They lead their flocks. 
And they do it by the sheep knowing the shepherd's voice. They're familiar to them. And so really what Jesus is saying is, do I know, do I know his voice? Am I listening from a posture of obedience? When, I'm, when I go to listen to Jesus, am I, do I sort of have this heart posture that before I even ask the question, the answer is yes? This is the kind of people Jesus wants to work with. People who say, I'm all in, and I'm saying yes before I hear what you've got to say. And so Jesus is saying with these images, these beautiful images, love the good shepherd, listen to him, walk with him, find other people to flock together with on the journey because we need one another. And unfortunately, many people don't do this. Or they don't do it in a healthy, habitual manner. And then what happens, and I've seen this so many times, is they wander, they get into rough waters, they get hurt, they get scarred, and they run back to Jesus and they say, help me, because it's a mess. And Jesus is so gracious and patient and merciful, and he helps them, and the flock welcomes them back, but there's scars because of that. There's consequences, and Jesus wishes, and he's, this is his heart desire, he's going, I just so wish that you didn't have to have those scars, that you had made some of those choices. Now, some things about the good shepherd. Some things about the good shepherd. So Jesus, there's so many things. There's probably six or seven or eight things I could talk about, but let me just pick three or four of them. Um, Jesus warns about false shepherds, and he uses the image of the thief, the robber, and the wolf, all emanating from the evil one who's out to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, in my experience, and again, I've been doing this for a couple, couple minutes, most of the pastors, the vast majority of pastors and leaders are godly people, solid followers of Jesus. And I've been privileged to travel a bit in the world, and I'm going to be doing some more traveling here in not too long. And, and all over the place, I've found God's people. And the vast, vast bulk of them, not perfect people, but good, godly people who love Jesus, but occasionally, and just occasionally, there are some in a leadership position who are all about using the sheep. Stealing from the sheep, Jesus says. There to steal, kill, and destroy. And he warns us. You know, our church is blessed with good leaders and we're in a season of extended peace and, and you know, pretty good health. But Jesus warns, he says, listen, if there's a leader out there that's not following intimately and personally the good shepherd, if this leader is trying to make it about themselves rather than acknowledging the good shepherd and pointing people and encouraging them on the path to the good shepherd, and if they're not filtering all that they're doing through the lens of scripture, no one should be following them. In fact, it says in Acts chapter 20 that leaders in the church of God, elders in the church of God, are put in place by a work of the Holy Spirit. That's how they're put in place. And one of the things they're charged with, they're told, Paul says, after I leave, there's going to be savage wolves, it says in chapter 20, savage wolves that will come in and try to devastate the church. And as spiritual leaders, you need to be ready to combat them and lay it all on the line to protect the sheep. There's so many good churches and pastors in our city here. Bible-believing churches, churches where 
the good shepherd is the focus, where they're pointing people to the good shepherd. And so we, we're not in competition with those churches in any way. We pray for those churches. We pray God's blessing. We pray God's increase on those churches because we're, based, we're on the same team. And we may, we may have some theological differences, and we do say on secondary issues, but we don't want to be critical of those other brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to celebrate those churches, pray for those leaders, help them as they're pointing their people to the good shepherd to grow. Another thing, another image Jesus here uses is he says, I want to work, and God always likes to work who with people who understand it's about call. It's not about being a hired hand. And, and so it's not about a job, it's about a calling. And so if you're a parent here, you understand about this, having kids is not a job, it's a calling. And so if I was going to illustrate that to you, you know, a person who thinks of it as a job, they're thinking of themselves, it's 3 a.m., the kid is throwing up and screaming. And, and you say to them, sorry, you can't do that because those are my off hours. And you write a little memo to the kid and say, Junior, you're only allowed to throw up between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. Monday to Friday. And every parent here knows that doesn't fly, right? A calling, Jesus says, becomes a lifestyle. And you do it no matter what because this is how God has gifted you and created you to be. And it just, it's almost burning inside you and you respond to it. My calling, and some of you know this story, my calling came when I was standing uh, probably about 8 o'clock at night in a gravel parking lot in Brandon, Manitoba. And I was 16 years of age. And that day, my best friend and two other people I was very close to uh, died in a car accident as we were driving from Regina to Brandon. And I remember this very vividly. I'm leaning against this car in this gravel parking lot. And I actually, I can remember my head was tilted to the left for some reason. And I was looking up and I'm looking at the stars. And... Uh, I, I understood, I was young, but I understood fundamentally. This is one of those moments in life where you either move away, run away from God, and shake your fist at him and say, how dare you, blah, blah, blah. Or I move very deliberately towards him. And by his grace, I move very deliberately towards him. And I just said, you know, God, what do you want me? I, I've been faced with the reality of life and death today. And God, what do you want me to do with my life. So really what Jesus is saying with this image of the hired hand is he's saying, have you given God an all-access pass into your life? What do you want me to do with my life, Lord? And this looks different for every one of us. Now, I was called into, you know, full-time vocational ministry to be a pastor, to be a reverend, and that's all cool, but I just want to say to you that the calling, the specific calling God has for you, uh, it's no less in any way than the calling that he gave to me, equally in the eyes of God, very important. And we can see this in different parts of the scripture where, where we see the necessity of what God has instilled in our life and called us to. It's so important for the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is saying, would you give me an all-access pass? And he's not looking for hired hands, but he's looking for people who respond to his call, whatever that is. 
and, and just has that yes posture. Then Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. And he changes the, uh, the metaphor a little bit from, from shepherd to gate. And he says in verse 9, he says, I'm the gate. And this is an image in scripture as well. He's this exclusive gate, standalone gate, unique, through which relationship with holy God is available. And he's the only way. In fact, the first song we sang this morning talked about him being the only way, the only truth, the only life. And this comes, Jesus says, because I've willingly laid down my life for the sheep. And he says this two or three times in the passage, but let me read 17 and 18. He says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. But I have laid it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it back up. This command I received from my Father. Sometimes people look at Jesus and they see him as a victim. Nothing could be further from the truth. He is victorious. And at the moment that some people look at him and think he's a victim, this is the moment when he's totally crushing the opposition. He's a complete and utter victim. He says this here prophetically, I lay my life down and I take it back up. He voluntarily is going to go to the cross, he's saying, for you. And he has done this in history. And it's all linked inexplicably to, to, to the resurrection, with resurrection in mind. His death was no accident. It didn't happen because some powerful, very evil men made it happen. It was the Father's plan. And Jesus willingly said, yes, for you. And so we don't work for God's love. This is what he's saying. We work from his love. He can't love us any better or any less than he does. He loves us perfectly because it's not based even this much on what we've done. It's entirely based on what he's done for you. So what has the good shepherd called you to? Have you asked him that? What has he called you from? What danger has he warned you about? You're playing with fire here, Dixon. Be careful. What sin is he wanting to forgive in your life? What love is he wanting to bestow? What hurt is he wanting to heal? Our loving, relational God has all of this for you. Last image, this beautiful image that Jesus points us to. So the sheep, just imagine this with me, are, are in large pasture or pens, and, and the shepherds come and they stand a distance apart from one another, and uh, with their own distinctive voice and their own distinctive call, they begin calling the sheep. And as it says in verse 4 there, the sheep recognize their voice and start coming. But the thing about this passage that goes even beyond that is that the good shepherd goes further. He doesn't just do that. He calls, it says in verse 4, verse 3 rather, he calls the sheep by their name. God knows your name. He calls you by name. Think about Kid Zone here in just a few minutes. 
It's going to be released. And it'll be, you know, it's going, to be a, it's going to be organized anarchy just a little bit as mom and dad come up and the kids are running around in their area and all of a sudden mom or dad is going to call that kid by name. And that kid's head will turn around because they recognize mom or dad's voice, but also they've heard their name called. And out of all this confused anarchy, you know, organized anarchy, mom and dad and kid get lined up together. The sheep find their shepherd because the great shepherd calls them by name. And if you're a Christian here already today, or if you uh, decide to become a Christian here today, in other words, to say, I, I have done sinful things, I, I get it, and I realize there's nothing I can do about it, it's all about Jesus and I'm going to ask him to forgive me, and I'm going to surrender my life to him to be my Savior and my Lord. If you're already a Christian or you become a Christian here today, it's because Jesus has called you by name. This is a beautiful thing. He cares about you and loves you more than anyone else. And our God, Jesus, is saying, he's saying, listen, he's a very personal God, He's a very relational God. He's not a distant God. And there will be a day when everyone in this room will die. And Jesus will return at some point. Now, he might return before we die. He might return today. He might return a thousand years from now. I don't know. Only he knows that. But when he does, he will call forth every one of his sheep by name. He started, his first practice at this was with Lazarus. And when he was hanging on the cross, it wasn't, you know, we think it's like this mass of humanity that he's dying for. No, no, because he's God, he had the capacity, as this text tells us, to die on the cross for you, for your name. And I believe he had you totally in mind when he hung on that cross. And that's because you matter to God. You matter more and more to him than you can even imagine. And it could be in your life that, you know, in association with your name, maybe you've been picked on or rejected. And for some of you, maybe even now when your name is used, it's to disparage you, to demean you, to abuse you. It's so different with the God of the universe. For the true children of God, the ones that have given their life to the good shepherd, one day when he returns, you will hear his voice, you will be resurrected, and you will run to your eternal pasture. And we're told in this place that Jesus will right all the wrongs because we serve a just God. The people that think they've gotten away with it will answer for what they've done. And in the great pasture of the God of the Bible, the scriptures tell us there's no more tears, no more pain, no more darkness, no more death. And we will be in the direct presence of the God that's always perfectly loved us, reunited as well with the ones that have gone before us. And friends, that's hope. You don't hear about that kind of hope too often in the culture. That's real hope. That's hope based on the word of the great shepherd who does not lie. So Jesus says, love the good shepherd 
Follow the good shepherd. Surrender to the good shepherd. Trust in the good shepherd. Serve the good shepherd. Let's pray. Wow, God. This stuff is just beyond cool. And I, I, so, I feel so inadequate to put it into words. So I pray you've been honored today as we've opened your word. I thank you for how you have spoken to every one of us that was open to hearing. Uniquely, I believe, by your spirit. I pray beginning with me, but for each of us, we would be open to hearing and just saying yes to whatever you have. Whether you just want to love us or you want to discipline us or you want to point us in some direction, whatever it is, may we be open to that. Thank you, Lord Jesus, of this beautiful image of you as the good shepherd. Thank you that apart from you, we would do a lot of floundering in life. So thank you that you're there for us in those ways. And we pray these things now in the precious name of Jesus as we go. Amen. Two things as we go. I re-